Hi, you're listening to another sermon from Deep Creek Anglican Church. Good morning, church. For those who don't know me, I'm Rachel. First, let me say what a privilege it is to stand here and give a talk to all my family and friends at Deep Creek for the very first time. And for this blessing, I want to thank Megan for giving me this opportunity and for guiding me all the way through. I can honestly say I was terrified after saying yes. (laughs) On reflection, I am convinced that the sole reason for my accepting this challenge was to be obedient and to honor my Heavenly Father by using the gifts he has blessed me with. The church is called to be a house of prayer because it takes after its Lord and head, Jesus. Jesus was the ultimate prayer. As we read the Gospels, we see he often withdrew to solitary places in the early hours of the morning to commune with his Father in heaven. Most of the time we are not told what he prayed about, but I'm sure that's that's where he would have been given the power and strength to do the Father's will. Jesus' disciples would have connected his intimate prayer life with the powerful things he spoke and did. Maybe they wondered why they didn't get these results when they prayed. And that's why they came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. What he taught them is what we now call the Lord's Prayer, which we find in Matthew chapter 6 and Luke chapter 11. Most of you will be familiar with the prayer. It's prayed by Christians all over the world in diverse languages. My first recollection of the Lord's Prayer was hearing my mother reciting it in the early hours of the morning after she had finished her prayers. Many of us will have fond memories of saying it at school or at funerals, reciting it with parents, or even hearing it sung by Cliff Richard or Andrea Bocelli. But does it shape us today? Is it too familiar, too challenging? Is it something just to be tagged on to the end of other prayers, rattled off at the speed of lightning? This is just what happened when Joseph and I were holidaying in England. This family that we stayed with did just that. They rattled it off so fast that all we could do was just hang on to our chairs just to get to the end of the Amen. And this was said in my first language, Malayalam. This morning, I want to challenge us. Does the Lord's Prayer teach us to pray? Jesus begins with the words, Our Father. Jesus often addresses God as Father, but here he uses the pronoun our and not my. 
When he teaches us to pray, Jesus wants us to regard his Father as our Father too. This is the highest privilege we could possibly receive, that the all-powerful creator God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ wants to be a Father to us. Many of us have or had a complicated relationship with our earthly fathers and their failings. But this is not the case with our Heavenly Father. Consider the wise, gracious, and forgiving embrace of the Father in the parable of the prodigal son. No matter whether we have had or haven't had earthly fathers who love us deeply with, with that kind of love in that parable that Jesus talks about, when Jesus calls us to pray, he is inviting us to an intimacy with our Father in heaven who is good and kind beyond our imagining. The question is, do we desire it? Do we want to call on him as Abba Father, as Jesus did? Will we come to him in prayer and have our deepest need for belonging met in him? But as good and kind as our God is, our Father in heaven is not a man-made idol. He is not made in our image. Jesus teaches us in this prayer that God is living and he has a dwelling place that is separate from this earth, heaven. It can be so hard to imagine heaven in all of its fullness and all of its differentness and distinctiveness from this creation. But it helps if we see it as the place of perfect authority where God's throne is, a holy place of unending worship, and the only place where our prayers ascend and are answered. God, being our Father in heaven, is a reason why we can pray with absolute honesty and ask of him with complete confidence the one who hears us, loves us, and he's powerful enough and wise enough to be able to answer us in all the ways we truly need. So we now move into the asking part of the prayer, bringing our requests to God, as Philippians says. But the first three petitions or requests might surprise us because they're not about us. They are about God, his name, his kingdom, and his will. The first request in the prayer is that God's name be hallowed. The word hallowed is not common today, but simply put, it means we are to honor God's name. His name, which is essentially his character, his reputation, his very presence. When we honor his name, we acknowledge that God is holy, pure, and incorruptible. When we revere and lift up his name, 
It changes us. It resets our focus on God as king and not ourselves as rulers of our lives. And as we see how holy, pure, and wonderful the king's character is, we long for the king's kingdom to come. At the heart of Jesus' earthly ministry was his desire and delight to promote the kingdom of God. In Colossians 1, we read that Jesus is the full embodiment of the kingdom of heaven. When we pray for God's kingdom to come, we build our own desire and delight for God's redemptive work to grow and grow, for the gospel truth to be advanced in the world, and for Christ's promised return. When we pray, your kingdom come, we invite God's will into the world and we are open to what he wants for our lives. We declare that we want to live and act as agents of God's kingdom here and now, workers for justice, mercy and truth in shared Christian community, in our love and care for others and for the earth, and we need him to empower us to do it. Each of us is individually designed to play our part in the kingdom of God in unique ways. I believe that God has planned our lives in heaven even before we were born. So when we pray for his will and not ours to be done, we're essentially wanting our lives to reflect God's plan on earth as it was determined in heaven. When we pray for his will to be done, we are demonstrating our trust that he knows what is best for our lives. Thus, we are able to humbly submit to his ways and his plans and see our will conforming to his. Jesus is our ultimate example, as he came not to do his own will, but the will of the Father who sent him. Before his crucifixion, Jesus prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Was this an impassive prayer of resignation? Not in the least. Jesus was totally committed to seeing God's will accomplished and the prayer, your will be done, was the theme of his life. God's will is revealed through his word and that's why it's important to study it diligently. For example, Ephesians 4 tells us it's God's will that we speak the truth in love. 1 Corinthians tells us that we ought not to commit adultery. Ephesians 5 teaches us that we shouldn't get drunk. When we pray, your will be done, we are not so much asking for clarity on his will, but the power to do it. We are asking for the Spirit's help to want the things that God wants, righteousness in our lives, salvation for everyone, and the furtherance of the kingdom of his son. 
as we are confident to pray to our good and powerful Father in heaven, and as we seek his kingdom first before all things, only then does Jesus teach us to ask for our own needs, our daily bread, forgiveness of sins, protection from evil. We come now to the part in the prayer which I think we can all relate to, food. <laughs> Jesus taught us to pray, give us today our daily bread. Bread, as we all know, is eaten and enjoyed universally. I love my one slice of toast with a good spread of peanut butter every day for breakfast. I'm sure in Jesus' day, bread would have been eaten in all homes, even the poorest ones. Jesus here uses a very familiar item of food that all of us can relate to. He could have said, give us today our daily meat. But he didn't because he knew bread was an affordable and everyday food. I really like Jesus' choice of words in this petition. Take, for example, the word give. The implication here is God will give when we ask because he is our father who is aware of our needs even before we ask of him. And he gives today. We can depend on him to provide, not tomorrow, not next week or sometime in the future, but today for our material and physical needs. If we trust that he will provide for today, then we don't need to be anxious about tomorrow's needs. In fact, we are reassured by Jesus further down in Matthew chapter 6, not to be anxious about our daily sustenance. God will surely take care of our needs because we are more precious than the sparrows and the lilies of the field. And so we can depend on him for every single thing we need, like the children of Israel depended on him for the manna in the wilderness. In human terms, children are meant to grow from dependence to independence. But have you ever stopped to consider that for a believer in Jesus, maturity means just the opposite, moving from independence to more and more dependence on him. And this dependence should be on a daily basis, coming to God not simply for bread or even food, but for everything we need for this day. Imagine coming to God and saying, give us this year our yearly bread. God, once a year I'll come to you. Can you set me up for the year? But that's not how Jesus wants us to live. He wants us to have that daily intimacy with God like he did. When Joseph and I migrated to Australia from uh, Singapore, we left good, well-paid jobs. We had three children under the age of five. Joseph was the sole provider, whilst I stayed at home with the kids. It was a struggle to make ends meet. I remember praying that God would provide for us, and he did. 
We never went without food or clothing. We had a roof over our heads. Bills were paid, so was the mortgage. Children were educated. All, for the most part, with one person's salary. And all because God was looking out for us and providing just what we needed when we needed it. We come now to perhaps one of the more challenging aspects of the Lord's Prayer, asking God's forgiveness for our wrongdoings. And perhaps even harder, forgiving others as we have been forgiven. Jesus knows the challenges involved in forgiveness, which is why it's part of what we have to bring to our Father in prayer. Let's look at the first part, forgive us our sins. Right after we pray that our Heavenly Father would give us our daily bread, we ask God to forgive us our sins. Why? Because forgiveness is one of our deepest needs. It's at the heart of scripture and at the heart of the gospel. Jesus came to offer us forgiveness and to reconcile us to God. And he encourages us in this prayer to ask for forgiveness every single time we pray. We have to want forgiveness from God in order to receive it. We have to know we need it. How do we recognize our need for this forgiveness? Through keeping it in our prayers. Whenever we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are reminding ourselves of our sin and our need for forgiveness. And we are reminding ourselves of God's endless willingness to forgive us. How about the next bit? Forgiving those who sin against us. By the way, anyone here finds forgiving others easy? Can I have a chat with you after the service <laughs> to get some tips? <laughs> At the end of the prayer in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus concludes with these words, For if you forgive others their sins, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father in Heaven forgive your sins. There's not much wiggle room here, is there? Jesus expects us to forgive others. And if we refuse, we cannot rightfully expect God to forgive us. But we shouldn't expect it to be easy or something we can do without God's help. One of my favorite stories on forgiveness is told by Corrie ten Boom. Corrie titled her excerpt, I'm Still Learning to Forgive. Corrie and her sister Betsy were arrested for concealing Jews in their home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. They were put in a concentration camp in Ravensbrück where eventually Betsy died. Corrie survived and after the war she was speaking in a church in Munich where she saw this German guard who had been in charge of the women at Ravensbrück concentration camp. 
Immediately she remembered the shame and atrocities that she and Betsy had endured at the hands of this cruel man. When she had finished her talk, he walked up to her and said, Fräulein, a fine message. It is so good to know that our sins are at the bottom of the sea. I have become a Christian and I know God has forgiven me of all the cruel things I did. But I would like to hear it from your lips. Will you forgive me? And he extends a hand towards her. Corrie was, she was just frozen. She could not do it. She was fumbling in her handbag instead of extending the hand out to him. How could she? Betsy died at the hands of this cruel man. And yet she knew that she had just spoken about forgiveness. And so she prayed, Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand. That much I can do. Will you supply the feeling? And so woodenly, mechanically, she thrust her hand into his. And immediately, there was a healing warmth that flooded her whole being. And she said, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. For Corrie and for us, forgiveness is something that we should bring to God over time, allowing God to change and transform us, not expecting a one-time perfect act or giving up when it doesn't happen. The Lord's Prayer begins this process, but it can be a very long process, which will, take, which will look different for everyone, and that can't simply be rushed through. So I think, in a beautiful way, this prayer both comforts us when we are struggling with sin and with a need to forgive another, but it also challenges us to show grace and mercy to those around us more and more. It calls us into the process. And if we pray this consistently, I believe we will see forgiveness start to flow. It's good to remember that temptations which come in the form of trials, adversities, and afflictions are part and parcel of the Christian life. Temptation itself is not evil. God permits us to be tested to mature our faith. And he will not allow us to be tempted beyond our capacity to resist the temptation. But remember, temptation doesn't develop overnight. Temptations break upon us gradually, one step at a time. The well-known writer and former atheist C.S. Lewis warned of this downward spiral in his book, The Screwtape Letters. In the book, he imagines how demons would teach each other to tempt humans. He writes, 
start with some pleasure, if possible, one of God's good pleasures, and offer it in a way God has forbidden. Once a person bites, give less of it while enticing him to want more. Provide an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure until finally we get the man's soul and give him nothing in return. Temptations may start small, and so keeping it in our prayers always keeps us alert to it, nipping it in the bud, cutting it off before we are enticed to want more and more. Our, human, our normal human response when we give in to temptation is shame and frustration. But as we learn in James chapter 1, temptations and trials we face don't have to be without purpose. Although giving in to temptation can bring heartbreak and devastation, when we turn to God with humble hearts, seeking his wisdom and grace, we find he gives generously to all without finding fault. Through his power in us, our trials and struggles to resist temptation builds perseverance so that we may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Jesus knew that what lay ahead for his followers wouldn't be easy. Challenging times lie ahead for anyone who wants to take up the cross of Jesus and follow him. Sin and selfishness will always be around to try to trip us up. And the evil one or the devil will always be around to try to destroy us. So our prayers must always bring that to God. We ask for deliverance from evil because it reminds us that it is real. It, that it needs fighting, but we need not be afraid. Because our confidence lies not in ourselves, nor in our ability to counteract evil, but in the character and strength of our Father who delivers us from evil. Battling evil in prayer is not about our own strength, but it's about accessing the power of the Spirit of, of His Son, who defeated evil and death on the cross. The Lord's Prayer was never meant to be a set formula, but it was absolutely meant to teach us how to pray. It shows us the heart of Jesus, the ultimate prayer, and it builds a solid and intimate father-child relationship a relationship that reveals to us God's immeasurable love, power, sovereignty, and his presence with us always, which should in turn cause us to worship and obey him. So as I close, I want to share three things that the Lord's Prayer means to me. Firstly, intimacy with the Father. This is what God wants and has always wanted more than anything else that we get to know him at a deeper level. There's so much of him to discover. Don't be satisfied with just a superficial knowledge of God. 
Dig deeper through prayer, reading and meditating on his word. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Secondly, imitation of the Son. If there's anyone worth imitating, it's Jesus. We know that we're on the right path when we imitate Jesus because he lived and exemplified love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness for everyone. As Jesus lived by imitating everything the Father did, let's imitate Jesus by coming under his authority to submit and obey him. 1 John 2, 6 says, Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And finally, ignition by the Holy Spirit. I'm sure we all want more intimacy with the Father, more of imitating the Son, and becoming more passionate about doing God's work. It's the work of the Holy Spirit within us that can produce any kind of change that we are seeking. It's a spirit that empowers us with the fuel needed because on our own, we cannot produce anything of eternal value. Let's pray. God, thank you for being a father to us for loving and embracing us as your precious children. You are the source of all that we have and all we need. We praise you for providing for our daily needs so that we are not left alone to fend for ourselves. Use us as your change agents so that your kingdom on earth will grow and become more like your kingdom in heaven. And empower us by your spirit to live like your son did as we go about our daily lives. This we ask in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.